Let me make one more quick announcement. Uh, Next week, of course, Bible school is just a short time away. And next week is our official pre-registration for it. And we're going to have our bounce house set up outside and different things going on, trying to attract people as they drive by and what have you. But we need some help to set up some of the stuff. And so if you're available between 10 and 12 on next Saturday, uh, we invite you to come out and help us set up, and then we'll try to draw the crowd in and so forth. And, and, uh, and also, of course, that's pre-registration. and can get, get boys and girls signed up. So if you know someone in the area, uh, bring them on. We'll do that and have that. That will be the uh, June 2nd from 12 to 4, the pre-registration. But we have to have it set up before we get there. But uh, keep that in mind, and that will be next Saturday. So come on out and join with us. There's always something for you to do. Uh, keep, uh, just come on out and have a, have a fun time together. We do have visiting our crowd today, and we appreciate them being here. I'm going to ask you, if you will, to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34. Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Now, this is a subject I believe touches every single one of us in this room. Worry. W-O-R-R-Y. How many of you ever worried in your life? Oh, you are a bunch of liars. <laughs> it, we all do sometimes. Sometimes we have warriors that worry all the time. I remember back in my younger years as a pastor, and we would, up in the Paris, Texas area, and Saturday night sometimes I would get so uptight thinking, well, I'm not ready for this. And so I would go over to the church and sit there and worry about, well, is this what I'm supposed to do? Judy says, "Don't worry about it. Let it let it happen." But I just couldn't do that. I just, I mean, I just, I was a knot on Saturday nights. Not a nut, a knot. <laughs> I know some of you jumped to that conclusion real quick. But anyway, every one of us worry. Every one of us has worries. As we talk about what this weekend represents, I'm sure there's a lot of worry or has been for some of you as you served our great nation, served our great nation. I'm sure there's days when you worried about things. But did you realize that Jesus told us not to worry about anything? I mean, now, think about that. Today's a military day. Today's a, a day that we remember all those that gave their lives for this great country, and greatly so. But yet God says don't worry about things. That's almost a little odd, isn't it? But, you know, Jesus was a great teacher and one of the reasons I think he was a great teacher outside of being Jesus himself is he used simple word pictures like light and salt to teach us deep spiritual truths. In our passage today, Jesus used the pictures of flowers and birds to talk about how to live without worry. If you want to live without worry, listen to what Jesus says in this passage. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Would you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word together? Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through uh, 34. Therefore, now Jesus is speaking. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the and the body more than clothing look at the birds of the air for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns 
yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to your statue? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass on the, of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For, all, for after all these things the Gentiles seek... For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But watch what he says in verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this passage. And Lord, if we could only grab hold of what you're saying here to us. Because each one of us have bouts of worry, probably daily. It just we, we worry about things. We're, not, we're concerned about what's going to happen in this great country of ours. We're concerned about the next step we take and all these different things. And even in our personal lives, with our children, our grandchildren, we worry about what's going to take place with them. But, Lord, you very plainly say here, don't worry. You've got it all in control. Thank you, Lord, for this passage. Go with us now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Jesus told us, if you didn't catch it, four times in that passage, do not worry. Now, I would doubt there's a person in this room that doesn't worry sometimes. We all do. It may not be anything big, but we worry about it. We may worry about grades in school. It's the time of the season where school's getting out. We may worry about graduating from school and all these kinds of things. There's always something to worry about. But Jesus used these simple truths, pictures like light and salt, to teach us a deep spiritual truth here. In our passage today, Jesus uses the pictures, again, of the flowers and birds to talk about how to live without worry. If Jesus was teaching the same message today, he might have employed another familiar metaphor for us in our day and age called a computer. How many has ever used a computer? Probably most of us. Now, if you're like me, you don't use it too well, but that's, that's another story. But he might have used this comparison. Instead of birds and flowers and things, he might have talked about computers. Because Did you realize that computers get what they call a worm on it or can get it? Worry messes with your mind the same way that a computer gets a virus, a worm they call it, and it literally causes problems. Here's a definition of a computer worm that I got off Hewlett Packard's homepage. I'm going to read it. This is not my words. A worm not only infects and manipulates files, it makes clones of itself. It can use the system transmission capabilities to travel from machine to machine. A worm can open your email address, address book, and dispatch one clone each to each of the addresses listed in your address book. Only Our only clue 
sometimes is that the PC and the Internet are suddenly inexplicably slow. I think it happens to us all the time. I run our house. But your mind is the most fascinating computer that's ever been invented. Your physical mind, the one inside your head right now. Think about the things it can do compared to computers. Now, computers are great. Don't misunderstand me. I enjoy using them. I write on them. That's about all I do because I don't. I'll get lost on everything else. And Chris has to come bail me out. So just. Uh, but I enjoy using it. I enjoy it because it's quicker. I enjoy that. But if something goes wrong, I've got to call somebody. Hey, get over here. You got to help me with this thing because I don't know how to fix them. And by the way, I don't want to learn. So don't try to teach me. But your, your mind is the most amazing computer that God ever created. But it's also susceptible to faulty thought processes, just like a computer is. Infected by what we call a worm. Now, like an insidious computer worm, worry burrows in, if you will, into your mind and messes up your entire thought process. That's what worry does to us. People can literally get sick because they worry too much. It can literally destroy them because they begin to worry about things that maybe come true, maybe not. But we worry about them. And so that's how it's related to our minds, if you will. It generates thoughts of anxiety and fear which replicate themselves, just like it did with a worry worm, and spread to other areas of your life. You can literally become sick if you worry long enough. It can destroy your life. Worry breeds more worry. Fear gives birth to even greater fears. But Jesus tells us how to rid your minds of the worry worm. Jesus tells us that all we have to live, that, that we are, let me start that over. Jesus tells us that all, I can't even get it out this morning. Tells us that we're to live a worry-free life on this earth. Now I don't know about you, but I have not lived a worry-free life. And to be honest with you, I doubt I'll live it the rest of the years either, because it just some things worry me. Now, yes, I know. I read it. We're not supposed to worry. But how do we stop it? How do we stop that? In our passage today, he lays a foundation for a worry-free life. That'll be 50 cents apiece for this information. The passage we just read, I believe that the most common sin among Christians is the sin of worry. Did you hear me? I believe the most common sin among Christians, Jesus just said worry is a sin, and every one of us worry about something. Sin is doing anything that God says not to do. Jesus said, do not worry. Through the years, I've known of many Christians who would never cheat. They wouldn't lie. They don't steal. They don't commit adultery. But they can be chronic warriors at the same time. How is that possible? Because we all do it that way. They wring their hands and are constantly stressed out over bad things that might happen to them. It's usually not something they're really facing. It's usually something that might happen to them. Worry can't add a single hour to your life. 
but it can add many hours of misery to your life. In the computer industry, when a worm is discovered, there is a rush to design software to detect and remove the harmful worm. For instance, this is some years ago, but for instance, Microsoft had to issue a patch to detect and remove the dangerous Confiker worm on, from our computers. But unless you download and install that patch that gets that worry worm in your mind, you will continue as always. That's what Jesus is telling us today. I've got a patch for you. I've got a patch that will take that worm away from you. It will stop destroying your mind and your hope and your future, if you will. In this message, I want you to see that we have some free software, Jesusware, that can be that can remove the worry worm without going through all these computer people. But unless you download and install these truths, they won't do you any good. There are three patches you need to download if your mind is full of worry. Number one, Jesus said, I don't have to fear the future. Do you realize that a lot of people fear what's going to happen to us when we die? I don't know about you, I don't know about you but my Bible tells me exactly what's going to happen to me. If I'm a child of God, if I'm saved, I'm going to take one breath, the last breath here on earth, and then the next breath I'll be in heaven. That's, a, that's not even a question. I know it's going to. But there are a lot of Christians that just cannot accept that. They just can't understand it. How can it be that easy? Well, you've got to get your Jesus patch to fix that worry worm. Jesus started this passage by saying we don't have to worry about whether we have food to eat, something to drink, clothes to wear, the basic necessities. In our wealthy culture, there are not many of us who worry about things like that. Now, I'm assuming not too many people in this room worry about clothes to wear and food to eat and so forth. I mean, there may be some around, and we know we've got them in this community, but it's most of us don't have to worry about that. Now, we may not have everything we want to eat or whatever, but it just it's just that way. We worry about what we eat instead of what we're not going to eat, don't we? What we drink, what we wear. We worry, should I eat at Chick-fil-A today or go to Whataburger? And we worry about little things like, you say, oh, we don't really do it. Yeah, we do. Every time I, Judy says, well, pick out a restaurant you want to go to, and I'll pick out Chick-fil-A. And Judy says, no, I don't want to go there. Then it starts me worrying. And just, I mean, we just sometimes can't agree on restaurants. So I go to mine, and she goes to her. No, I'm, I'm kidding there. <laughs> the truth is that most of us worry about so much more than basic necessities of life. We're not really worried about the basic necessities. We've all got them for the most. Now, there's people in this town that do not have them, and that ought to be a concern of ours. We worry about terrorism attacks, don't we? We worry about gas prices going up and the stock market coming down. But whatever you worry about, Jesus said that worry is a sin. That's not my words. Jesus said worry is a sin. And he's writing this passage, he's talking this passage about how we can get rid of worry. If you want Jesus to remove the worry worm from your system, you've first got to identify what worry is. If you look up the word worry in the dictionary, 
You'll learn worry means torment one, to torment oneself with disturbing thoughts. Did you catch that? To torment yourself if you worry about things. Our English word worry comes from a German word that means to strangle. Worry will strangle you to death if you don't watch out for it. You say, now, what's this, what is this message? What's it got? Hang on. It's a lot for each one of us. Worry is self-strangulation of the mind. If you let worry get you down, it's going to destroy you. You do it to yourself. Other people may frustrate you, but they can't worry you. Only you can worry yourself. You're the only one who can torment yourself with your thoughts of fear and anxiety. Nobody else can do that. Oh, they may make you mad, but you do not have to accept those thoughts in your mind. You can get them out of your mind. Now, what is, what's this about? Well, first of all, Jesus told us not to worry, but it gets better. The worry worm makes you feel possible, or excuse me, fear possible, bad things that might come. Not that are on the way, just that might be there. Creating a what-if situation. Well, if I step outside, I might get hit by a car, so I better not go outside today. Or if I eat this food at that restaurant, I heard they had bad food one time, I might get sick, so I better not eat there anymore. That's how worry gets in our system. Little things that don't mean anything. I mean, yeah, you might get sick at a restaurant. Guess what? It happens. But Jesus said, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. What if I lose my job? And what if I can't pay my bills? And what if they foreclose in my house? And what if I become a homeless person? And if, what if I can't find anything to eat? And what if I die of starvation? Don't we worry like that? Maybe not those words, but don't we say things like that sometimes? What happens if I lose my job? I mean, y'all might get rid of me next week. What am I going to do? I'm going to move in with somebody, so just get ready if you do that. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this kind of agonizing analysis is paralysis of our minds. You're afraid to do anything. Someone said, the greatest mistake in life is constantly fearing you'll make a mistake. Worry is a continual fear that the, most, the worst case scenario is going to happen. Think about it. When you worry about something, what's your first thing? You, you begin to worry about a little bit of worry, but before long, you're, the biggest thing you can imagine is in your mind. Well, what if this happens? And what if that happens? Jesus said, do not worry. It's a sin, folks. It's a sin, according to the, the Bible. But for the Christian, death isn't a worst-case scenario. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, 14, uh, 12 4, and I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body. And after, they have no more that they can do. What was Jesus saying? Don't be afraid if somebody walks in with a gun and starts shooting at us. Of course we're going to take cover and hide. and I'll jump in that piano or something or other. But what he's saying is, so what? You're still a soul, and that's what's going to live forever. That's the part that will last. In the first 300 years of the Christian faith, many believers were persecuted, tortured, killed simply because they were followers of Jesus Christ. 
Do you realize that today around the world, Christians are persecuted if they come to, well, they don't have a building like this, but come to an assembly. They are literally persecuted and killed in many cases. It's everywhere around this world. Christians are beginning to be a very tormented people. Jesus still says, don't worry about it. What's he trying to tell us? The early Christians were actually called atheists in the early days of the Christians because they refused to bow down before the Roman deities, including the emperor who was considered divine himself. Every year, each Roman citizen was required to say, Caesar is Lord. But the Christians refused and proclaimed Jesus is Lord. Because of this refusal to believe, many of them were executed because of that statement. Now, let me ask you something. What if we got to the point in this country where we literally had the government come in and say, if you mention Jesus one more time, we're going to shoot you right here on the spot. Would you do it? Sure, we'd like to think we would. I don't know. But, folks, that's a possibility in this world for a lot of people on a daily basis. But yet many of them are standing up and saying, I still serve Jesus regardless because of the refusal. One great pastor was a man named Justin. He was later given the title Justin Martyr because he was executed by the Romans when he was in his 60s. As he stood on trial before the Roman authority, he made an amazing statement about how Christians shouldn't fear death. Justin Martyr said, you can kill us but not hurt us. He understood for a Christian, death isn't the end. Instead, death means we are ushered into the presence of Jesus Christ. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. You wonder why we had such powerful early Christians in that day and age? Look at the stand they took. Yes, they knew it could mean their life. Yes, they knew it probably would mean their life in some cases. But they weren't afraid to stand up and say, Jesus is Lord of my life. Don't you wish we had Christianity like that today? That we would stand up and say, no, this is the wrong way to go. Our world's crazier than I've ever seen it in my life and getting crazier every day. Most of the terrible, terrible things we fear might happen usually never do. So why waste the time worrying about them? President Calvin Coolidge once said, when you see trouble coming down the road toward you, nine times out of ten, it will run in the ditch before it reaches you. I think that's pretty accurate. Since Jesus has already taken care of the worst-case scenario, dying, you don't have to fear the future. We have confidence in the future. Sometimes people say, I don't worry, I'm just concerned. Yeah, right. That's good, but you've got to know the difference between sinful worry, and godly concern. And there is a difference. The difference is that worry sees the problem while concern seeks the solution. Sinful worry always involves fear and makes you weaker. Whereas solution, concern, employs 
faith and makes you stronger. In other words, when you're tested at school or at college or wherever you may be and that professor's picking on you for being a Christian, it'll make you stronger if you let it. The second thing we see, I have a loving Father who knows my needs and cares for me. I have a loving Father who knows my needs and cares for me. We're studying this parable, looking at this parable today, because Jesus used the images of birds and flowers to illustrate futility of worry. Now, how, how do you do that? I mean, here's a free bird just floating around, and here's the flowers that just grow beautiful out in the hillside. But yet, how does that show us futility of worry? And that looks like that'd be a calming effect to us. As Jesus spoke these words, I, I can easily picture my mind. Uh, a flock of sparrows just flying around above, up above his head. As Jesus points to them, he says, look at the birds. They don't worry, and God the Father feeds them. Why wouldn't he take care of you? Then Jesus waved his hand over the side, perhaps, on the side of the hill, and he said, look at these flowers. Have you ever seen anything man-made more beautiful than this? They don't worry about what they wear. And yet they are more beautiful than Solomon in all of his glory. Solomon was the wisest, wealthiest, wittiest king in Israel's history. He was number one on the Israel's best dress list for 40 years in a row. Yet Jesus said Solomon looked like a hobo compared to beautiful flowers. Now, he didn't say those words. I said that, but... Jesus didn't worship creation or nature as some people do today. He said the beauty and the wonder of nature only points us to the loving and caring creator that created them. We've been in this area about three years now. And I'm going to be honest, we've, all three years we look for blue bonnets. I've always heard about boy down at, you know, not too far from here. We drove down this year, wasn't a blue bonnet one we found. Finally somebody said, well, you waited too long. So <laughs> I, I guess that's right, but... Next year when the blue bonnets come out, be sure to tell me. I want to go see them. But anyway, we, so we missed it. But if God goes to the trouble of feeding little birds and clothing little flowers, he will take care of us. He said in Luke chapter 12, verse 6, through seven, six and 7, Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten by God. But the hairs on your head are all numbered. Do you do not fear? You are of more value than many sparrows. Did you hear that? That's what God's done for us. Don't you think God, if He loves you that much, is going to take care of you? Just believing God isn't enough, though, to get you into heaven. Do you know that? Just believing God isn't enough. James chapter two verse nineteen says, "You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble." The demons believe, yes, there's a God, and it makes them tremble because they know what their end result's going to be. The most important thing you can do to know is whether there is a God, but what that God is really like. Do you believe there's really a God? Seriously? Do you know what He's like? Do you know God's characteristics? Jesus came to planet Earth to teach us what God is like. He taught us that when we talk to God, we can call him Abba, which means Daddy. God said, Jesus says, when you talk to God, 
Look at him as your daddy. Look at him that way. Would your daddy let something happen to you if he knew about it? Of course not. Would your daddy let you go out in a situation where you can be hurt from it? Of course not. If you'll listen to daddy, but we don't sometimes listen to him. Jesus taught us that God loves you and cares for you like a perfect father who loves his children. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus taught that God cares so much for one wayward person that he's like a shepherd who is willing to leave the 99 he had and go find that one has drifted away. And folks, there's a bunch of them in our churches, our church included, that have wandered away from God nowadays. Is he calling you back? God is searching for you to rescue you, save you. Jesus taught that God cares so much for you that he's like a woman who lost a coin and she turned her house upside down looking for that one coin. That's how important it was. And Jesus says that's exactly how God is. He won't give up on you. He's the kind of daddy who, when he sees that same child returning to him after he's been away for perhaps years, got away from God and drifted away and got involved in worldly activities. And, but when he sees that child coming back, I love that story about that in the New Testament, about that young man that left his home and said, Dad, give me my inheritance. I'm going to go take care of myself. And he gave him his inheritance. And the part that I like about it, he stays away. You know the story. I won't go into all of it. But he stays away for a long time, and finally he decides he was sitting in a, literally in a pig pen. He was eating what the hogs eat. And he says, this is crazy. And I'm paraphrasing. This is crazy. My father has more food to spare, and I'm starving to death with these pigs eating slop. And then he said, I'm going to rise and go back to my father, and I'll become as a servant of his just to be back in the household. You know the story? I don't know why, but I've always pictured this. The old father lives on this hillside. Valley's down below. He can see for miles out there. He's got a white picket fence. Every day, that old daddy would walk out there and put his foot up on that fence and look down that, that road coming back. Didn't see anything. Day after day after day, that daddy was waiting on his son to come home. Finally, one day, he looks way off in the distance, and he begins to look at this young man that's walking, and he watches it, and he looks at it, and he said, that looks like my son's, the way he walks. That looks like my son. Can't you see him? His eyes trying to focus as he got closer. That is my son. He's coming home. He's coming back. Can't you imagine as he ran in the house and said, Mom, guess what? Look out the road. Who's coming home? Our son's coming home. That's a picture of God right there. You may run off. You may deny God. But one of these days, God's going to bring you back. God's going to bring you back to where it was. And oh, what a reunion. Oh, God didn't wait for him to get up there. He ran to meet him. He prepared a feast for him. He was looking for him. That's a picture of God, folks. Yes, you may have drifted off. Guess what? So did I. But any time you're ready to come back to God, God opens his arms and said, I died on the cross for you. 
I'll take you back. That's how much God loves you. Do you think that God will let things happen to you if you belong to God and are serving God? Sure, things can happen. Obviously, we can have car wrecks. We can all be killed. It may be our time. But what I'm saying is that God cares for you, folks. It don't matter how far off you got off track. God cares for you. Let's close this out real quick. The third thing, when I focus on seeking God, I can't focus on worry. If you'll spend your time looking to God, you can't spend your time worrying. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, 31 through 33 says, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Folks, if that promise right there is not any good, we can throw this Bible away because none of it's any good. But that promise is as sure as it can be. When we seek God first with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, you watch what God can do. You watch what God can do in a church when we begin to seek God with a passion and an a personal reason. God, do this in my life. See what we can do. Are you still allowing the worry worm to infect your mind? In the four gospel accounts, we only read about one person to whom Jesus actually said, you worry too much. You know who it was? He didn't say it to Doubting Thomas. He didn't say it to Simon Peter with all of his problems. He spoke these words to a woman named Martha. In Luke chapter 10, we read about a visit Jesus made to the home of Martha and her sister Mary, who lived in Bethany just over the Mount of Olives from Jerusalem. When Jesus arrived at the house, Martha was busy in the kitchen making lunch, let's say. While her sister Mary had camped out at Jesus' feet talking to him, Martha got upset. I mean, she was blowing a fuse. Finally, in exasperation, Martha stormed in the room. But she didn't speak to her sister. She spoke to Jesus. Luke chapter 10, verse 40 says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Does that sound like you sometimes? Lord, do you care about me? Lord, do you know about, have you looked at me lately? I need help. Do you care? And the answer is yes, he does. Tell her to help me. Lord, don't you even care? Don't we say that sometimes? Maybe not vocally, but we say it in our minds. Lord, why are you letting this happen to me? I've been one of your best servants for years. I mean, what's the world going to do if they don't have me to be here? That's our attitude. We not say those words. That's how the attitude is. There are thousands of tired, irritated Marthas in our churches today. They're living on the edge of burnout. I remember seeing a guy on television. He performed, I guess you call it a stunt. This is years ago. And it seemed like one of those Saturday night shows we used to have when I was growing up. But he would take these poles. He had these poles setting up, you know, just like this. He'd take plates and spin them. And put them on his pose. He had to add another pose, spin the plate, and then he'd roll over here and add another one. He had about 20 of them going. 
And I mean, this stage was probably as wide as a building. He'd see one, he'd run over here and keep, you know, pep it up so it wouldn't fall, and then run back over and get the other one. I mean, just constantly. Doesn't that describe us a lot of times? I mean, I can remember, I was a kid when I saw, I don't know how old, probably eight or nine, ten years old. I don't know how old it was. But I remember seeing that and thought, how do you do that? <laughs> how do you keep that balanced? Well, number one, you can't for very long. It's all going to come tumbling down. A few years ago, there was a movie, one of my favorite movies, called City Slickers. Anybody seen it? All right. Okay. The plot of the film revolves around three city boys' decision to spend a vacation together going on a cattle drive. That's a pretty good picture right there. Three city boys on a cattle drive. There's a tough old cowboy named Curly leading the cattle drive. One day he has his, this conversation with a character played by Billy Crystal. You city folk, you worry a lot. You spend 50 weeks getting knots in your rope, and you think two weeks up here will untie them. It's not going to happen to you. He pauses for a minute, and then he goes on. You know what the secret of life is? One thing, just one thing. You stick to that, and everything else doesn't mean anything. As Curly rides off on his horse, Billy Crystal's character yells at him. That's great, but what's the one thing? Oh, Curly turns around and looks back at him and says, that's what you've got to figure out. Curly and Jesus were saying the same things. Jesus told Martha she was worried and agitated about many things. But Mary had found it. She was at the feet of Jesus. Look at Mary. She knew it. It was sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to him talk and teach. That's exactly what Jesus was telling Martha and exactly what he's telling us today. There can only be one first thing in our lives. Every one of us has something that's the most important. I hope it's Jesus for you. Remember, the only thing you, can, you need for a kingdom is a king. So seek the kingdom of God. Seeking the kingdom of God means exactly what Jesus was telling Martha and exactly what he's telling us today. There can only be one first thing in our lives. The one thing in our life that matters is the kingdom of God. Will you download and install the truth of this life? Sometimes new software asks, do you want to install this software sooner, uh, uh, now, or later? Have you installed it yet? Don't wait. When you install it, this is what you'll come up on the screen with. You'll hear God saying from Psalms 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. That's all that is. Old Curly would, could say those words as he wrote off because that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Let's stand together this morning. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this time you've given us to come and close this service. Lord, you know the needs that we have this morning. You know the worries that we have this morning. And each one of us allow ourselves to worry. But, Lord, we just ask that you would allow us to do just what Jesus just told us, not to worry. I know that's hard sometimes, and I know it probably out of all these people here this morning, I'll be the first one to break it. But yet Jesus tells us, do not. Let us trust God that much. As a church, let us trust God for what we need here. 
as a people, let us trust for our home lives, our lives. Lord, in other words, just trust you in everything we do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.